0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. On behalf of Morana Air and the rest of the crew, I want to welcome you to Flight 0964 AD into the unknown. In order to distract you from the likely event of a crash, vials of laudanum and audio-based entertainment will be provided. These are not optional gifts. Trent's entertainment is a tale of nursing homes, taxis and fences, read to you by Michael Pitam with musical backing by Peter Gabor. I work as a taxi driver, I fear every first Friday of the month, was originally released December of 2022 and is a part of the Mirana Air shared universe. If you want to hear the rest of the intertwined stories, make sure to keep on flying Mirana Air over the following weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, please make sure your headphones are attached tightly to your ears before you try assisting your loved ones. Also, please ensure your seat belts are buckled beyond the point of comfort. The flight will be aiming towards heavy turbulence. first
1: time I got the call was a year back. It was a miserable January night, and the sky couldn't decide whether we were in a rainstorm or a snowstorm. The roads were slick, the wind howled, and most importantly, no one was out drinking. I was going to muster up a cough and tell dispatch I needed to clock out early, but before I could gather up the theatrical spirit, a ride request came in. Wolf Pines assisted living facility to the airport good long fare for out-of-city rates, first come, first serve. I wasn't the only one who wanted to call it an early night. No one volunteered. I would have kept quiet myself if it weren't for the second plea. The ride had been ordered three weeks in advance, but the dispatch girl forgot to put it into the system. She begged for someone to take the ride. She didn't want to get fired. I guess back then I was a bit sweet on her. Even past the fizzle of the speaker, I could hear the despair in her voice. Couldn't have that. Volunteered just to put her at ease. Plus, airport fares always tipped. Figured I could make a quick buck before turning in for the night, and a quick buck I did make. It's not the money that bothers me. It's how I made it. So, I arrive at the nursing home. It's pouring down something fierce and I can barely see past my windshield. Fare's nowhere to be seen. So sit and wait and pray that I'm not getting someone with heavy bags or a wheelchair or any other combination of things that would make me get out of the car. Then I think how my grandma used to complain young folk never help and feel the slightest tinge of guilt. I almost get out of the car to see whether my fare isn't waiting in the lobby for me. But before my guilt drives me into the rain... The back door of my car opens. The man who gets in seems to have at least a century under his belt and smells so much like an hospital I have to roll down the windows. No luggage though. Just a soaked hat that he places in his lap the moment he enters. I check the destination with him, give him a ballpark sum and then set off. He doesn't make small talk and I don't pry. I've driven for long enough not to ask people's business. The old-timer doesn't talk, but he breathes funny. There's a whistling in his throat that makes me wonder about how many smokes he used to take down when he was my age. To drown out that thought and my perverse need for a cigarette, I flip on the oldies station and play the man music he might have listened to in the tail end of his middle age. The radio, ever, does not stay on for long. About 15 minutes off from the airport, the radio, along with the rain, fizzles out. I didn't think anything odd back then as I said it was a miserable night maybe I noticed the darkness outside growing thicker maybe I did find it odd that the world slowly descended into nothing but the dim reflectors on the edges of the road maybe I did notice on that first ride but I made nothing of it it wasn't until the old man suddenly grabbed me that I thought something was amiss it wasn't a rough grab. The old-timers' bony hands were in no shape to do me actual harm, but it did spook me, and I hate being spooked when I'm behind the wheel. Before the anger could reach my chest, though, it was replaced with confusion. The old man told me he wanted to get out of the car. He wanted to get out of the car, right there and then, in the middle of a dark road miles away from the airport. The old-timer's expression was wholly blank, but his words were clear and there was money in his hand. Money that happened to be triple the original fare estimate. He wanted me to take all of it. I put up a token resistance, but I didn't argue with the man for long. I took his money, wished him a pleasant night and watched him disappear off into the thick veil of black beyond the road markers. I was confused. I was confused, but I've also been driving strangers for 15 years. If an ancient man stumbling off into the darkness was going to be the weirdest part of this story, I would have already forgotten about it. One month later, on an unseasonably warm February night, I got the exact same fare, Wolf Pines Assisted Living Facility to the airport. Booked ahead of time, but once again, lost to the mystery of our reservation system. This time around, the passenger was an ancient woman who had the voice and stench of a lifelong smoker. Once she confirmed her destination with a froggy, yes, she stayed completely silent until we reached that dark patch of road. Just like the old man, she wanted out and was willing to pay triple for the doors to be opened. I didn't tell dispatch, trying to make sense of the rides would make me sound insane and more importantly... The extra money helped me cover some outstanding debts I had with some unkind characters. The prospect of sharing the money, or worse, having someone else take the fares, didn't sit well with me. I didn't tell dispatch the first month, or the second month, or the third month, when the pattern became crystal clear. Every first Friday of the month, and around midnight, I'd be driving an old person into pitch darkness and getting paid a surgeon's salary to do it. It was all strange, I'd admit that even back then. But people are strange, and in my line of work, I meet a lot of them. I kept mum, and kept the money, and did my best not to analyse the details too much. When the first Friday of April rolled around, however... I found myself significantly more curious about my elderly customer's destination. She was old, just like the rest of them, but there was more sort of a regal air about her. She had her hair all done up, smelled like a pricey perfume joint, and even though no amount of makeup could smooth the years off her skin, she was all dolled up like she was ready for the opera. When I asked if she was going to the airport, she simply nodded. She seemed unsure of her destination. The whole ride through, she kept on fidgeting with her hands. When the darkness outside thickened and the radio buzzed out, she started to fidget harder. As that familiar patch of road came up, she didn't grab me or shout like the others did. She simply tapped me on the shoulder. Familiarised with the way these rides usually went, I slowed the car to a stop. She didn't get out. She didn't say a word, or ready her money or anything else the old folks usually did. She just sat there, silent, fidgeting with her hands. It's then I noticed the ring. It sat on her frail finger like the golden arches on a dead stretch of highway. This sort of diamond folks get shot over. She stopped fretting with a tired sigh and then slipped the ring off her finger. ''I don't need this where I'm going,'' she said, as she extended the jewellery to me. ''I took it. I'd been raised hungry enough not to reject a diamond when offered. That was good enough payment for me. I was happy to let her off right there, but then she reached into her purse, paid quadruple the airport fare, and wished me a good night.'' It was only then that she opened the door and walked off into the pitch darkness beyond. I didn't stop her. I was still in shock from the paycheck I held in my palm. I didn't stop her then, but I should have. I should have locked the doors and called the cops and demanded the old woman explain herself. But I didn't. I didn't want to involve the authorities on account of the diamond. But the ring did pique my curiosity about the care home fares. A couple of days later, in the most casual way possible, I approached the dispatch girl. She said that the orders came in through the reservation system each month, but that she knew nothing else about the details. I didn't want to raise any heat, so I dropped it. The question of the ring still tugged at my sleep though, so a couple of days later, before my shift, I took a ride to the airport. During the day, the stretch of road where I usually stopped was far more populated, but the oppressive darkness wasn't hiding anything interesting. To the left, there were fields of rapeseed, and to the right, up a little hill, there was a fence dividing the public from one of the landing strips of the airport. The top of the fence had barbed wire and there were no gates to pass through. I almost dropped the matter then, but on my way back to the city, I stopped by the nursing home. When I spoke to the receptionist, I tried to be, again, as casual as possible, But the moment I mentioned I was the taxi driver who picked up fares every first Friday of the month, the girl's jaw dropped, and suddenly, she was the one asking questions. She too was confused about the rides. She wanted to know what happened to the old folks, whether there was anyone waiting for them at the airport, or whether they at least talked about where they were going. She suspected something was wrong. The moment I told her who I was, I got a chill down my spine. She seemed like the type to call the cops, cops that might conduct interviews and take evidence. I've been driving a cab for long enough to know what happens to jewellery left in evidence lockers. If someone was going to misappropriate the ring, it was going to be me. I told her everything was fine, that the old folks just got out of the airport, paid me and went on their merry way. She didn't seem too convinced with my explanation but by the time she was asking more questions I was halfway out the door I just decided to accept my good fortune and move on my grandmother wouldn't be proud but that ring was worth more than anything I owned in my life that diamond bought me my fair share of poker hands I've always liked to play cards Gave me something to do on my off evenings and every once in a while it will afford me a nice bottle or something I've always liked to play cards, but the rush of playing for a couple of days' wages is nothing compared to cashing in a diamond. I did well. In my first two weeks, my luck brought me enough dividends to consider retiring. My third week made those vague plans a lot more concrete, but then, as these stories always go, Lady Luck found some different sob. You might think that I started asking my airport fares if they had jewellery out agreed but the occasional ring or necklace I'd pick up on my rides quickly ended up being my lifeboat through the month. I had once again ended up in debt to some unkind characters. The ones that lend to cabbies and the ones that lend to high rollers, however, differ in temperament. At the start of every month, I'd rake in the cash on my airport fares, but I saw very little of it past the inside of my cab. It was during those miserable months that I'd find myself locked in an endless cycle of regret. If I had only rejected the ring, I thought, I wouldn't be in this mess. I had turned into a man the grandmother who raised me wouldn't recognise. I hated myself every time I shook down the old folks for their jewellery and I felt even worse when I had to shark it up later in the night. I regretted not putting a stop to everything while I was still ahead. I cursed myself for not rejecting that ring when I still had the chance. Yet in all that self-loathing, I never wondered where those old-timers were going. I rejected that question. I wholeheartedly refused to wonder about the thick cloud of darkness that descended on us and the way the radio would crackle and anything at all connected with that deathly ride. I buried those questions because I knew... They wouldn't lead me anywhere pleasant. For months, I kept a lid on that coffin. But two weeks ago, a familiar face rose from the grave. A stout woman with full cheeks and kind eyes. She looked just like my grandmother. When she got in the cab, she even grunted the same way my grandmother did whenever she got out of her chair. She told me she was going to the airport. I asked her where she was flying to. With a kind smile, she told me she wasn't allowed to say. But then, as we pulled out of the nursing home, she started to chat with me. I can't remember what we talked about, but she did start by asking how long I've been driving a cab for. Her name was Gabriella, and back in her younger days she used to be a teacher. She asked me what my name was. When I told her, she let out a long sigh. As the darkness descended around us, Gabriella said my mother's name. My mother had been in the first class of high school students Gabriella ever taught. She remembered her well. She spoke at length about how creative my mother was and how hard she worked in class. Briefly, Gabriella mentioned what a tragedy it was that my mother passed so young but then she continued to talk about her in the present tense as if she was still around. Then after telling me that I had my mother's face, she touched the side of my arm and asked me to stop the car. Taking a hefty lump of bills out of her purse, she said she would like to get out. I again asked her where she was going. She again told me she wasn't allowed to say. This time her voice wasn't as kind. She placed the money on the armrest and reached for the door. I don't know if it was because she looked like my grandmother or because she knew my mother or whether the guilt of the months had simply compounded and been unearthed by a familiar face. I I don't know what drove me, but I refused to let the old woman out into the pitch darkness. I, I locked the doors. All the warmth had drained out of Gabriella. She spoke slowly, and each word slid off her lips like a dagger. She wanted out. If I wasn't going to let her out, she was going to call the police. It was as if the taxi's headlights were pointed at cloudy water. The world scarcely existed a metre or two before us. I refused to let the old woman into the incomprehensible darkness that surrounded us. In turn, she fished out an old flip phone and slowly pressed in three numbers. Squinting her eyes at the little screen, she put the phone on speaker my resolve was strong when she had threatened to call the police yet it softened considerably when i heard the voice on the other side of the call before gabriella responded to the cops she gave me one last chance to back out i did i unlocked the doors and she hung up and wished me good night and grunted her way off into the abyss back then i didn't know where gabriella was going If I did, I I would have kept the doors locked. I would have driven as far away from that horrible patch of road and gotten arrested and trialled and jailed. I would have done whatever was in my power to keep Gabriella from her grisly fate. But I didn't. I unlocked the doors and let her leave. My immediate instinct was to get as far away from that patch of road and never work a Friday night again, but my feet! refused to press the pedals instead I just sat there in that patch of cloudy black completely paralysed my eyes were wet and there was a hot poker travelling up my throat and it was in that moment of absolute misery that I noticed the purse Gabriella left behind her purse and all that bounced in my head was my grandmother complaining about how his young people don't help I flicked on my hazard lights, grabbed the purse and stepped out into the darkness. The flashlight on my phone did less to combat the murky night than my headlights did. With the night surrounding me being almost impenetrable, I had to palm my way around the taxi to make my way. I couldn't see anything and in my blindness I almost turned back, but when I reached the backseat door of the taxi, the darkness gave away the slightest bit, as if... Gabriella had somehow cut through the fog of black. The darkness lessened from the door of the taxi. My eyes still struggled to make sense of the world, but I could see the old woman once more. She was crawling on all fours up the hill towards the barbed wire fence of the airport. The hill wasn't particularly steep, but she wasn't particularly young. Gabriella was struggling with her climb watching the old woman crawl up the hill like a shivering infant made the burning coal in my throat burst into flames i called out to gabriella i demanded she come down from the hill that she get back in the taxi that she explain herself or uh, at least i tried to call out to her at the moment i opened my mouth it was as if all the breath had been pulled from my lungs the shouts that i hoped would dissuade the elderly woman from crawling up that dark hill turned into nothing but strained whispers I took a deep breath and tried to shout once more, but then, just as Gabriella reached the top of the hill, a terrible sound blasted through the world. It was an unnameable sort of tone that was a mix of low hums and the gnashing of metal. As impossible as the sound is to describe, its volume was deafening. It came from behind the barbed wire fence and was accompanied with the rhythmic blinking of two blood-red lights. The flashing lights and the deafening noise terrified me beyond words. But the effect they had on the frail woman was outside the limits of human comprehension. As if she'd been yanked by some eldritch puppeteer hiding in the darkness, Gabriella jumped to her feet and spread out her arms as if she was giving worship to the unseen moon. Then, like an athlete in her prime, the old woman leapt at the chain-link fence and started to climb to its top. There was no stopping her, but I did try. I ran up the hill, trying to scream past the roaring engine that had drowned out the rest of the world. It was of no use. She climbed the fence with incredible speed, and by the time she reached the barbed wire, it was clear... There was no stopping her. I've driven a cab for fifteen years. I've seen things. Disturbing things, disgusting things, things that would steal away sleep even from the most hardened of men. None of them. Compared to the old woman's meat with the razor sharp claws of the wire. The metal ate away her clothes and flesh, yet she didn't exhibit the slightest bit of pain. Instead, Gabriella seemed to angle her body as to maximize contact. Her eyes were rolled back in her head, revealing only the whites. And even from down below, I could see a familiar kind of smile on her lips. That smile disappeared the moment she noticed me. As if she'd just woken up from a long sleep. Her eyes took in the world around her in complete confusion. As gnarled as her body was by the metal teeth of a Gabriella seemed to be more shocked by my presence than the state of her body. I could not hear past the indescribable cacophony from behind the fence, but it was clear she was screaming at me. Even with her arm trapped inside of the sharp wire embrace, she tried shooing me away. Then, as suddenly as the terrible sound from beyond the fence came, it started to die down blood red lights the oppressive darkness they started to dissipate into an overcast January night for the briefest of moments as the impenetrable abyss turned into an overcast night i could see hints of what was hiding behind the fence the red lights were attached to the edges of wings towering above us big as an office building stood a mammoth black airbus As massive as the plane was, however, it faded from reality as quickly as its horrid engine. By the time I could hear the old woman, her injuries had robbed her shites of structure. She she screamed, in between her coughs and groans and moans, that it was my fault, that it was my fault that I came in and that I saw her. If someone saw her, she groaned, she wasn't allowed to go. They didn't like it when outsiders saw. By the time the paramedics arrived, she was long dead. Not being able to get her body off the fence, the fire truck joined the group of blinking lights at the side of the road. The cops were not far behind. I and mean, was no sense in telling them about the ring or about any of the other rides that ended in the middle of that dark road. That would only make me a bigger suspect. In regards to the events of that night, however, I told the cops what happened. She wanted me to stop the car. She tried calling the cops when I didn't want to let her off in the middle of the road. She climbed the fence herself. The authorities didn't like this explanation, and they kept me in holding for as long as I legally could, but when no direct evidence of wrongdoing showed, they had to let me go. When I left the station nearly two days later, I didn't feel victorious. I felt guilty. I had not killed the woman with my own hands. In fact, I did whatever was in my power to keep her away from the horrid things that were hiding in the darkness. I had, however, for months and months and months, led other strangers down the exact same path. I'm in no financial position to leave my job. But... I hoped that getting someone else to take my first Friday of the month shift would be easy. Whenever I bumped into any of my colleagues over cigarettes or coffee, however, they would avoid me. I used to be sweet on the dispatch girl. Used to be. While I was sitting in the interrogation rooms, she was busy making up her own theories about how responsible I was for Gabriella's death. The casual questions I'd asked about the airport fair suddenly turned into evidence of wrongdoing. I might have been exonerated by the state, but the stories that float around my workplace take my presumption of innocence as a farce. When I first walked out of that police station, I was certain that I would never drive between the Wolf Pines assisted living facility and the airport ever again. But as the weeks passed by, I fear that I will. No one will talk to me, let alone switch shifts with me. I fear what will happen on the first Friday of the month.
0: The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L., Lucky J. Horton, Koos, Bob Kondurg, Chicken Mixer, Daniel Wengel, Mr. Creepypasta, Charlie Cooper, Daniel Kincaid, and Matt. If you'd like to join these fine people in supporting the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. That's all for tonight. See you all on the next episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams.